0: Tonight, Isaiah 40, let's stand for the reading of God's Word, and um, if you can, scoot forward, find your way forward, that'd be great. I came down from there, I've come toward you, y'all come toward me, alright? Verse number 1, and uh, the rebellious ones will stay in the back, everyone else, I'm just teasing, I know you, everyone that's staying in the back has a reason, they told me beforehand. So, look at verse number 1, and uh, we're going to read down through verse number 8. The Bible says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished that her iniquity is pardoned for she hath received of the lord's hand double for all her sins the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness prepare ye the way of the lord make straight in the desert a highway for our god every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh uh, shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice uh, said, cry, and he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and uh, all the uh, goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is Grass, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, look here, but the word of our God shall stand forever. The title of our Bible study for this week and and probably next week, maybe the next three weeks, but definitely this week and next week is this, God is greater than our circumstances. Aren't you thankful for that tonight? No matter what life throws at you, God is greater than our circumstances. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get going. Lord, thank you for the chance to gather as a church family, the opportunity to, to, to pray together, uh, Lord, how that binds our hearts, Lord, we've been encouraged through the missionary update, we're thankful for how you're using our missionary there in, uh, in Israel, Lord, help us to have our hearts in tune with the Bible tonight, Lord, teach us truth uh, through the, the preaching and teaching of your word and Spirit of God, confirm those things that are said that are accurate Help us to leave here tonight with not only a better knowledge of your word, but Lord, a a determination to go forth and practice what we hear. Help us to regain a a fresh perspective on how great you are in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're going through the book of Isaiah verse by verse. And so Wednesday nights is a Bible study time, verse by verse through Isaiah. It's been a long journey. We made it through Thirty-nine chapters so far, and that makes a, that brings us to a benchmark, if you will, in the book. Now, um, uh, the book of Isaiah has been labeled by theologians as the Bible in miniature. The Bible in miniature, and here's why, okay? The Holy Bible has 66 books. Uh, Isaiah has, anybody want to guess how many chapters? Sixty-six chapters, all right? Now, I, I was telling this to my father, who's very smart, and he said, yeah, but chapters were added later. And I said, don't get technical with me, all right? Yes, chapters were added later, but uh, stick with me here. Sixty-six books, sixty-six chapters. The Old Testament contains thirty-nine books, and the New Testament contains twenty-seven Books. Now, uh, the Old Testament's 39 books focus on God's law and God's judgment. The New Testament's 27 books focus on God's grace and God's forgiveness. Now, you can find grace and mercy in the Old Testament, and you can find judgment and law in the New Testament, but the emphasis in the Old Covenant or Old Testament is on the law and judgment of God. The emphasis in the New Testament is on the grace and and forgiveness of God. Now, if you look at the book of Isaiah, chapter 39 marks the end of the first section, okay? Uh, the 39th chapter is where, uh, uh, is, is where you see warnings to Israel about the coming judgment of God that will be poured down upon them. To the ten northern tribes, it would be Assyria. To the two southern tribes, as we saw last week in chapter 39, it would be Babylon. Now, the last 27 chapters, just much like the New Testament has 27 books, the last 27 chapters of Isaiah focus on God's grace through a coming king. Are we seeing the parallels this evening? Are we seeing the parallels? 39 and 27, Old Testament, New Testament, law versus grace, law in the first 39 of Isaiah, uh, grace in the last 27 of Isaiah. Now let's talk specifically about the book of Isaiah. Then we're going to get into chapter uh, number uh, 40 uh, here. So uh, the first 39 books, or rather the first 39 chapters of Isaiah were written by Isaiah to his contemporaries. Everybody knows what contemporary is. The people around you. The people that lived in his generation. Okay, This is really fascinating what I'm about to share with you. The last 27 chapters, beginning with chapter 40, were written by Isaiah in a prophetic time to Jews who would live after their release from Babylonian captivity. So these were written 175 years prior to, Uh, To the the release of the Jews. That's fascinating. That would be like me sitting down and writing out uh, relevant information to future relatives of mine that are four generations from now. All right, and it being accurate. And in fact, uh, liberal theologians believed for years that multiple people named Isaiah penned this book. They did not want to believe that one man. Wrote the entire book because how could someone write relevant material to people who would live? almost 200 years later and so liberal theologians people who take uh, great liberties with the Bible and, and uh, uh, less of a, a strict view of God's word liberal theologians uh, their, their claim was that there were multiple Isaiahs from multiple eras and they took these writings of these men named Isaiah and they compiled them together in one book and so there isn't just one author was the claim but there were multiple authors of the book and those who uh, uh, held to a stricter view The Bible said, no, that is not accurate. One man wrote the entire book, and then the Dead Sea Scrolls were unearthed. And when the Dead Sea Scrolls were unearthed, it was proved beyond all shadow of a doubt that Isaiah was one man, and he wrote the entire book. So the New Testament opens with which biblical character? Anybody know which biblical character? It was John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he's called the forerunner to Christ, right? He was the one that prepared the way in the wilderness. And then uh, followed by Jesus Christ. And guess, uh, guess what character opens chapter 40? It's John the Baptist. John the Baptist. This is why the book of Isaiah is called the Bible in miniature. Okay, so Jesus would usher in an era of grace. And so this is why chapter 40 talks about that now one last thing before we get into point number one all right um uh, isaiah warns the first 39 chapters he warns judgment 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 judgment's coming uh, you're living in sin you're neglecting god he's going to pour down wrath you're going to be carried away into captivity and then you get to chapter 40 and this is written to those who are being carried back into the homeland out of Babylon. So with that in mind, let's jump into our outline and we'll see how far we get. All right. Number one tonight, notice God's mercy. God's mercy. Look with me at verses one and two. All right. I like to get some of the men to help me read the passages this evening. And so when we get outside of Isaiah, turn quick. I'm going to call on some of you to stand up and help me read. Verse one and two, the Bible says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Sayeth your God, speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So you have been thoroughly punished for your wrongdoings, and now that punishment is complete, and we're going to allow you to go on back to your homeland. And so uh, this is a time of great comfort. Listen, God does not just punish for the sake of punishing, punishment. He doesn't. He punishes with purpose. In fact, Hebrews 12 tells us that earthly fathers, they punish for their own pleasure, but God punishes us for our own pleasure, for our own benefit, for our own profit. Understand that God is not looking to just zap you with a lightning bolt out of heaven and kill you any time you step out of line. If He did that, we all would have been dead a long time ago. Amen? Alright, I'm first. Okay? I would have been dead a long time ago. God continues to give us chance after chance after chance and even when we're so stubborn and we're knuckleheaded headed and we want to do it our way and we won't bend and we won't go with the Lord's way, He'll only correct us to the point where He has to get our attention. And once He has our attention and we're walking in line with Him, then He backs off the punishment because His goal is not to hurt us. His goal is to get us to live in accordance to His word and to His law. So we see God's mercy. And I'm thankful for the mercy of God that in times of punishment, there is a future time uh, where we will be back in God's good graces. I remember as a boy, I'd get in trouble with my mom and my dad and I got in trouble a lot. I got a lot more trouble than my my own children do. And my, my children are far better behaved than I was. And I got, I got uh, spanked a lot growing up and deserved every spanking I got. In fact, uh, I, I probably deserved way more spankings than I got. And uh, my mom and dad would my mom would send me to my room. And when I was a little boy, my mom would spank me. And then one day I laughed when she spanked me. And that was the last time she spanked me. She said, well, I'm not doing this anymore. Your dad will spank you when he gets home. And I said, no, oh, actually it hurt. And she said, no, your dad's going to spank you when you get home. And you know what? I would sit in my room and I would wait on my dad to get home. And one of the ways I would mentally cope with the thought that I was going to be in trouble, me and my dad had a great relationship and still do to this day. But one of the ways I would cope with that is knowing that, yes, there's, this is a time of trouble, but there will be a time very soon where me and dad are back I'm back in good graces with dad, and I'm riding with him to the hardware store, or we're going out to get, uh, do, do some yard work together and get a soda and a honey bun, and uh, we're gonna go out and have a good time. And it, this isn't permanent, and if you're under the punishing hand of God right now, understand that once you get your behavior in line, you can be back in God's good graces just as Israel found themselves. So we see God's mercy. Number two, notice God's messengers. God's messengers and if you have a Bible that's marked with paragraph markers you'll notice that at verse 3 we have a new paragraph marker and so our points for this sermon or Bible study are broken up by the paragraph markers and so there's another one at verse 9 so verse 3 down through verse 8 is a paragraph here and so uh, we see some messengers uh, introduced to us very early on and how God is going to interject himself, and be greater than our circumstances. Letter A, notice, the prophecy of John the Baptist. The prophecy of John the Baptist, all right? Uh, Take your Bibles over to John. Hold your place there in Isaiah uh, chapter number 40. Take your Bibles over to John chapter number 1 and look at verse 19, all right? John 1 and verse 19. While you're turning over there, verse 3 and 4 says, "...the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness..." Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Little side note here. The word highway is a prominent word in the book of Isaiah. He talks a lot about highways and being on the right path, the right highway that takes us to the Lord and how that highways are a means of transportation to get us from point A to point B and point B is always to get us to God. So straight path in the desert, a highway for our God, every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill uh, shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the uh, rough places plain. Several years ago, it probably would have been a decade or so ago, uh, they redid the uh, interchange Uh, Of 84 and 8. How many of you ever drive up near Waterbury... And you know what I'm talking about? I was talking to someone who knew that whole um, highway situation and they literally had to find an architect that could move a mountain in order to put that highway in. And it took them years to accomplish that. And they had several architectural groups and construction companies that said, no, we can't do it, no, it can't be done. But they kept searching until they finally found someone that could make the ground straight enough with bridges and truss and moving things in order to put that in there. And listen, uh, when you're laying a highway uh, through a, a rough terrain, you've got to bring the high places as low as you can and the low places as high as you can so as to make it a highway that is bearable for people to travel. And here they are, picture the Babylon, or the Israelites walking from Babylon back towards Jerusalem and Isaiah has given them this prophecy to comfort them. He said, listen, you're walking down a highway out of Babylon back towards... Jerusalem, and yes, the terrain is rough, and yes, uh, the the road is steep, but one day, the low places are going to be brought up higher, and the high places are going to be brought lower, because there's going to be a messenger that's going to come and prepare a way for the Lord. John chapter 1, verse 19 through verse 23. Uh, Who wants to stand and read that for me this evening? I have a, a man who's willing to help me out with that here, Brother Jason. Why don't you stand and read 19 through 23, John chapter 1. That's the one. Yes, sir. Go for it. Read nice and loud for us. Them that sent us. Thou of, the way of the Lord, as said the there it is so just as it says in isaiah right here we have the fulfillment of prophecy he said in Isaiah, he said, one day there's going to be someone who's going to come and be the forerunner to Christ. And a Pharisee send messengers to John the Baptist and say, who are you? He says, well, I'm not the Christ, and I'm not Elijah or Elias. I am that one prophesied of Isaiah, Isaiah 40. I am the one that is sent to make the way straight for the Lord. So we see the prophecy of John the Baptist. Letter B, we see the promise of the Messiah. Go back to Isaiah Chapter number 40, hold your place in John 1 because we're coming right back to John 1 in just a moment. Isaiah 40, look at verse number 5, verse 5. The Bible says, and the, notice this phrase, glory of the Lord. In fact, if you are in the habit of marking your Bible, underline that phrase, the glory of the Lord. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord Hath spoken it. By the way, look at the word Lord in verse 5. You notice how that all the letters are capital. Where you see all capital letters in the word Lord, that is a reference to God the Father. Where you have an upper, a, a, rather a capital L and lowercase o-r-d, that is a reference to God the Son. That's just a neat little Bible nugget for you students. So the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The glory of the Lord, all capital letters, the glory of God the Father. The mouth of God the Father hath spoken it. Verse 6, the voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth. And underline this rest of this verse as well. But the word of our God shall stand forever. The word of our God shall stand forever. Notice that word. Word. The word of our God shall stand forever. Who is this speaking of? The glory of the Lord. Verse 5. Um, Down in verse 8, it talks about the word of the Lord shall stand forever. That's interesting. Go back to John 1. John chapter 1, the promise of the Messiah. Now, below that, notice that Jesus is the glory of God, and uh, Jesus is the glory of God. So who is the glory of God? It's Jesus. Look at John chapter 1 and look at verse 1. Brother Manny, could you stand and read that for us, as well as verse 14. Verse 14. All right. Before you get to fourteen, you hang, hang on just a second. Notice that the word "word" is got as a capital W. That is a proper noun, right? Person, place, or thing. Back from grammar school. This is a person. The word was with God. The word was God. Right. Beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. So uh, that might seem abstract, but verse fourteen makes it an absolute. Read verse fourteen for us. So the Word was made flesh. We call this the incarnation of Christ, right? In Spanish, you have the words encarne, encarne, or in meat, right, in flesh. And so the incarnation of Christ, this is Jesus leaving heaven, coming to earth, being born amongst us. We know that story as uh, Jesus being born through the womb of the virgin named Mary. And here He is being born amongst us. The glory of God. The word, was, uh, w- w- the word was made flesh. Now, back in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, notice this. It says, but the Word of our God shall stand forever. So, uh, I have this written down in my notes. Jesus is the glory of God. He is permanent. Jesus is the glory of God. He is permanent. Further proof that this is uh, who, he, who He said He was, listen to Matthew 3.17. Everybody take your Bibles over to Romans chapter 3 for me. Romans 3. Let me read you a couple verses out of Matthew 3. Here we have the baptism of Jesus. The Bible says, "...and lo, a voice from heaven saying, "'This is my beloved Son.'" in whom I am well pleased. The glory of the Lord, the glory of God the Father, is Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. Matthew 17, 5, we have the transfiguration of Jesus, and the Bible says, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Now, Romans chapter 3, look at verse 23, all right? Brother Lexton, do you have that there? Romans 3? You're getting there quickly, aren't you? Can you stand and read verse 23 for us? All have sinned and come short of the what? The glory of God. Now, for many years, I thought this glory of God meant that uh, the, word, the phrase glory of God meant the perfection of God. That is not what it means. Who is the glory of God? It is Jesus. All have sinned and come short of... Of Jesus, why? Because Jesus lived a perfect life, right? This is a really neat theological um, idea here. All right, but you have to listen on purpose. Everybody engaged? Did that work? Did I get you engaged? All right. God was 100% man and 100% or Jesus, rather, was 100% man and 100% God. You say, how was that possible? Watch this now. Okay, His flesh was man, but the spirit that indwelled Him was God. So when he felt temptation in his flesh as a man, the God Spirit within him was greater than the temptation against his flesh. That's why he never fell. That's why he never caved. Because the Spirit that indwelled him was greater than the flesh temptation. You know why you can't win the battle against your flesh all the time? Because the Spirit within you is weak and cannot overcome the flesh. Now it can when the Holy Spirit's in charge. Right When we yield to the Holy Spirit and we let the Holy Spirit lead the way, then that Holy Spirit can overcome our flesh. But our spirit in and of itself is flawed and broken and we cave to the flesh. That never happened to Jesus because He was God robed in flesh. And so God wrapped in manhood. Uh, He is the glory of God. He is the Word. He is permanent. Now go back to Isaiah chapter 40 with me. And we see that Jesus is the glory of God. Human flesh is the goodness of God. Human flesh is the goodness of God. Go back to Isaiah 40 and uh, look at with me at verse number 8. Isaiah 40, look at verse 8. Actually, let's back up a little bit. Uh, let's look at verse number 6. We're going to read from verse 6 down through verse 8. The Bible says, uh, The voice said, Cry. And he said, What shall I cry? Look here. All flesh is grass. Look here. And all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. All goodliness. Notice that word goodliness. Verse 7. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it, Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So humanity here is compared to grass of a field and the flowers of the field. I would say that men are the grass of the field because we're plain and we're ugly. Women are the flowers of the field. Amen. Is that a theological stretch? Am I stretching the Bible? I, I think I might be stretching the Bible a little bit there. But uh, you, you take it for as you will. That's my interpretation of it, all right? Uh, but the, the grass and flowers of the field represent humanity. And notice that it is a temporary thing, right? Grass comes and it goes. Flowers come and they go. and But uh, why is... Why are, why are humanity compared to uh, why is humanity compared to the grass and flowers of the field because of its temporary nature and it it's it's brought about from the breath of God. Now that's interesting. Look back at verse six. All flesh is grass. All the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. Verse seven. Notice the word bloweth. The grass withereth. The flower fadeth because the spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Take your Bibles to Genesis chapter two. And verse number 7, Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 7. The Spirit of God bloweth upon it. That's an interesting phrase. Humanity is compared to grass that is blown upon by God, almost like the wind that blows across a pasture here. Brother Josh, do you have that? Can you read verse 7 for us? There's that breath of God again, right? So, I love the imagery here. God comes down to earth, right? He's got everything else created. He takes His hands and He uses the dust of the earth and He forms the first man, right? Gives Him all of His uh, 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 features and, and creates Him. He's laying there lifeless. And then God comes down and breathes into His nostrils The breath of life. So here we have humanity being powered by the breath of God. Here's some other verses on this. Jeremiah 1.5 Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Who is it? And this this is a little bit of a side note, but someone might need to hear this. Who is it that gave you your features? It was God. He determined how tall you would be. He determined uh, what metabolism level you would have. He determined what color your hair would be. He determined uh, how how far apart your eyes would be on your face, the size of your nose, what your lips would look like, how how high your jawline or low your jawline would be. You know what? As humanity, we do. We stand in front of a mirror and we complain about what isn't just right with us, right? Right? We go see doctors that have plastic surgery so we can improve upon. And, and God, why did you make me this way? And you may not say that out loud, but when you complain about your appearance, you are saying, God, I'm not, I'm not content with the way you made me. And that's not right. That's not right. We're not to worship ourselves, we're to worship the Lord. And we all can find things about our physical appearance or our own flesh uh, uh, to be insecure about, but we shouldn't because God made us exactly the way we are. Now, the way we eat and how we work out, those things are left up to us, right? You shouldn't uh, abuse the temple that God has given you. You should take good care of it. But don't complain about how big or small your nose is or how big or small your lips are or how tall or short you are. Uh, Those are features that God has given you and you be thankful for them. Turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. So we see here uh, that God... Uh, breathed into man the breath of life. He's like grass uh, that's blown across by the wind and a flower in the field. And uh, we see that God is the one that gives life to humanity. Flesh, uh, the, 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 the life of flesh is the goodness of God, while the person of Jesus is the glory of God. Ecclesiastes 12, why did God give you life? Why did he give you breath uh, to breathe? Why did he form you in your mother's womb? Uh, Why uh, did he leave you here on planet earth for such a time as this? Solomon, the wisest man ever to live, tells us at the end of his life, in one of the last chapters of his book, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, he tells us what the purpose of our life is. Fred, can you read that for us? Are you not there? I'll get someone else. Ecclesiastes, are you in Ecclesiastes? Chapter 12, verse 13. Well, it couldn't be much easier than that, can it? It's pretty well explained, isn't it? Fear God, keep His commandments. (laughs) You got it. Good job, Fred. But, But once you get there, Boy, it's pretty simple, isn't it? Fear God. You know what that word fear means? It doesn't mean you walk around going, you're going to wincing. It's not a wince. This is a, I revere God. Yeah. I I revere Him. I respect Him. Uh, I know that if, if need be, He would punish me. And I don't want that punishment, right? I want to maintain a good, healthy relationship with God. And I'm going to do that by keeping His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. James chapter four verse fourteen says, "Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away." We've all thought, we've all seen steam coming off a pot, right? There and gone. And in the grand scheme of eternity, being millions and billions and trillions of years, boy, our life is like that vapor coming off that pot. You live to be a hundred years old. What's hundred years compared to a billion years? And life is fragile, is it not? Just like the grass of the field, the flowers of the field, a flower is there, it's growing, it's healthy, Everything's, and a little girl comes along and plucks it out of the ground and now its life has been sucked out. Boy, that was a healthy, strong flower and now it's gone. You guys are thinking of Araya, right? Pulling flowers out of the field, your little three-year-old. But listen, someone's going along like this Brian we prayed for earlier in our prayer service, 40 years old. Gone, right? We, we're not promised tomorrow. None of us are. By the way, we don't deserve tomorrow. Someone says, well, it's not fair. Why did God take my loved one? Uh, listen, God is the giver and taker of life. He can do whatever He so pleases. Here's the intellectual conclusion I've come to, right? My wife is sitting right down here. been married to her for 15 years. Love her deeply. My best friend on planet Earth. She's not mine. She's God's. Before she's mine, she's God's. If God were to take her home tomorrow, He does not owe me an explanation. Now, that might sound cold, but that's just the reality. She belongs to the Lord. Now, she's mine the a steward, and I'm hers the steward while we're here, but she belongs to God. He doesn't owe me an explanation. He can take what's His home whenever He wants. Life is fragile. Now, notice this. Jesus is the glory of God, Mankind is the goodness of God. Now, this is really good. Write this down if you can. We receive physical life from God the Father. We receive eternal life from God the Son. We receive physical life from God the Father. We receive eternal life from God the Son. Now, you had no choice in the matter with your physical life, right? Your mom and dad made that choice for you. I should say your mom and dad and God made that choice for you, because God's involved in that. Once, you, once you're brought onto this planet, you're born under the condemnation of sin. I'm getting into the doctrine of salvation. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is important. Because um, it. a lot of pastors assume that their congregation understand the doctrine of salvation. I'm amazed when I sit and have conversations with people who've been going to church like this one for 20 years, how how simple-minded they are on this doctrine. I had someone say to me recently, very eloquently, that there are two words that describe salvation and sanctification. They're the words done and doing. Right? Done and doing. If you take doing and make it part of salvation, you've messed up. It's not about what you do. You can't earn your way to heaven. It was done for you on the cross. Jesus paid it all. He did it all. Uh, All we do to get saved is really nothing except just believe. We extend our hand of faith and we receive that gift of eternal life. And then after we're saved, we do. But we don't do to get saved. We do because we are saved. We do. Not so that we can earn salvation. We do so that we can grow in our sanctification, our becoming like Christ into the image of, of, the, uh, of God the Son. And so we receive physical life when we're born on earth from God the Father. That's the goodness of God. But we get the glory of God when we receive eternal life from God the Son. And so we see, number two, God's messengers. Next week we're going to get into number three. I'll go ahead and give you the blank and then next week we'll give you the subpoints. Number three is Christ's ministry. Christ's ministry. Now, the title... All right, go back to the title slide there, Brother Joe. Um, The title of our Bible study is God is Greater Than Our Circumstances. All of what I'm covering right now is laying the groundwork to help show you how that God is greater than our circumstances. Can I take you to the end of the chapter and show you where we're going? Real quick, look at verse 31. This is maybe the most famous verse. If not, it's in the top five of most famous verses in Isaiah. Um, This one's well, well known, but here's, I want to make this point before we read the verse. Some of you are already reading ahead, all right? I want to make this point before we read it together. One of the big mistakes that Christians make is we lift one verse out of a chapter and we fall in love with it without getting that verse in context of the rest of the passage. We do this a lot, all right? We do this a lot. Verse 31, when you get the context of the rest of the chapter, wow, it's powerful, all right? We're going to lift it out of context or lift it out of the passage for right now and read it. But I want you to come back next week so we can build up to this verse. Look at verse 31. But let's read it together. Can we do that? Here we go. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. As we are going through life and we learn to trust God... No matter how bad the storms of life are, we end up flying above the storms because we wait on the Lord, and then He renews our strength. We mount up on eagles' wings. We, we run, but we're not weary. We walk, but we're not faint. And so come back next week, and uh, we're going to talk about how to soar above life's circumstances. And I, I know that'll be a help to you. I hope that the Bible study has enlightened you a little bit more about God's Word and helped you to grow in your knowledge of His book. I hope you had better understand the first eight verses anyway. We'll get into the third paragraph of chapter 40 next week.